Section twenty of White Knights and Other Stories by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Karina Schultz. A Faint Heart by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated from the Russian by Constance Garnett. Part four arkady flung himself on the bed he had no confidence in vasya no confidence at all vasya was capable of anything but to ask forgiveness for what how that was not the point the point was that vasya had not carried out his obligations that vasya felt guilty in his own eyes felt that he was ungrateful to destiny that vasya was crushed overwhelmed by happiness and thought himself unworthy of it that in fact he was simply trying to find an excuse to go off his head on that point and that he had not recovered from the unexpectedness of what had happened the day before that's what it is thought arkady ivanovitch i must save him i must reconcile him to himself he will be his own ruin he thought and thought and resolved to go at once next day to yulian mastakovitch and to tell him all about it vasya was sitting writing arkady ivanovitch worn out lay down to think things over again and only woke at daybreak damnation again he cried looking at vasya the latter was still sitting writing arkady rushed up to him seized him and forcibly put him to bed vasya was smiling his eyes were closing with sleep he could hardly speak i wanted to go to bed he said do you know arkady i have an idea i shall finish i made my pen go faster i could not have sat at it any longer wake me at eight o'clock without finishing his sentence he dropped asleep and slept like the dead mavra said arkady ivanovitch to mavra who came in with the tea he asked to be waked in an hour don't wake him on any account let him sleep ten hours if he can do you understand i understand sir don't get the dinner don't bring in the wood don't make a noise or it will be the worse for you if he asks for me tell him i have gone to the office do you understand i understand bless you sir let him sleep and welcome i am glad my gentlemen should sleep well and i take good care of their things and about that cup that was broken and you blamed me your honour it wasn't me it was poor pussy broke it i ought to have kept an eye on her Shh, you confounded thing i said hush be quiet be quiet arkady ivanovitch followed mavra out into the kitchen asked for the key and locked her up there then he went to the office on the way he considered how he could present himself before yulian mastakovitch and whether it would be appropriate and not impertinent he went into the office timidly and timidly inquired whether his excellency were there receiving the answer that he was not and would not be arkady ivanovitch instantly thought of going to his flat but reflected very prudently that if yulian mastakovitch had not come to the office he would certainly be busy at home he remained the hours seemed to him endless. Indirectly he inquired about the work entrusted to Shumkov, but no one knew anything about this. All that was known was that Yulian Mastakovitch did employ him on special jobs, but what they were no one could say. 
At last it struck three o'clock, and Arkady Ivanovitch rushed out, eager to get home. In the vestibule he was met by a clerk who told him that Vasily Petrovitch Shumkov had come about one o'clock and asked, the clerk added, whether you were here and whether Yulia Mostakovitch had been here. Hearing this, Arkady Ivanovitch took a sledge and hastened home beside himself with alarm. Shumkov was at home. He was walking about the room in violent excitement. Glancing at Arkady Ivanovitch, he immediately controlled himself reflected and hastened to conceal his emotion he sat down to his papers without a word he seemed to avoid his friend's questions seemed to be bothered by them to be pondering to himself on some plan and deciding to conceal his decision because he could not reckon further on his friend's affection this struck arkady and his heart ached with a poignant and oppressive pain he sat on the bed and began turning over the leaves of some book the only one he had in his possession, keeping his eye on poor Vasya. But Vasya remained obstinately silent, writing, and not raising his head. So passed several hours, and Arkady's misery reached an extreme point. At last, at eleven o'clock, Vasya lifted his head and looked with a fixed, vacant stare at Arkady. Arkady waited. Two or three minutes passed. Vasya did not speak. Vasya! cried Arkady. Vasya made no answer. Vasya! he repeated, jumping up from the bed. Vasya! what is the matter with you? What is it? he cried, running up to him. Vasya raised his eyes and again looked at him with the same vacant, fixed stare. He's in a trance, thought Arkady, trembling all over with fear. He seized a bottle of water, raised Vasya, poured some water on his head, moistened his temples, rubbed his hands in his own, and Vasya came to himself. "'Vasya! Vasya!' cried Arkady, unable to restrain his tears. "'Vasya! Save yourself! Rouse yourself! Rouse yourself!' He could say no more, but held him tight in his arms. A look as of some oppressive sensation passed over Vasya's face. He rubbed his forehead and clutched at his head as though he were afraid it would burst. "'I don't know what is the matter with me,' he added at last. "'I feel torn to pieces. Come, it's all right. It's all right. Give over, Arkady. Don't grieve,' he repeated, looking at him with sad, exhausted eyes. "'Why be so anxious? Come!' "'You, you, comforting me!' cried Arkady, whose heart was torn. Vasya, he said at last, lie down and have a little nap, won't you? Don't wear yourself out for nothing. You'll set to work better afterwards. Yes, yes, said Vasya. By all means, I'll lie down. Very good. Yes, you see, I meant to finish, but now I've changed my mind. Yes, and Arkady led him to the bed. Listen, Vasya, he said firmly, we must settle this matter finally. Tell me, what were you thinking about? Oh, said Vasya, with a flourish of his weak hand, turning over on the other side. Come, Vasya, come, make up your mind. I don't want to hurt you. I can't be silent any longer. You won't sleep till you've made up your mind, I know. As you like, as you like, Vasya repeated enigmatically. He will give in thought Arkady Ivanovitch. "'Attend to me, Vasya,' he said. "'Remember what I say, and I will save you to-morrow. To-morrow I will decide your fate.' 
what am i saying your fate you have so frightened me vasya that i am using your own words fate indeed it's simply nonsense rubbish you don't want to lose yulian mastakovitch's favor affection if you like no and you won't lose it you will see i arkady ivanovitch would have said more but vasya interrupted him he sat up in bed put both arms round arkady ivanovitch's neck and kissed him enough he said in a weak voice enough say no more about that and again he turned his face to the wall my goodness thought arkady my goodness what is the matter with him he is utterly lost what has he in his mind he will be his own undoing arkady looked at him in despair if he were to fall ill thought arkady perhaps it would be better his trouble would pass off with illness and that might be the best way of settling the whole business but what nonsense i am talking oh my god meanwhile vasya seemed to be asleep arkady ivanovitch was relieved a good sign he thought he made up his mind to sit beside him all night but vasya was restless he kept twitching and tossing about on the bed and opening his eyes for an instant at last exhaustion got the upper hand he slept like the dead it was about two o'clock in the morning arkady ivanovitch began to doze in the chair with his elbow on the table he had a strange and agitated dream he kept fancying that he was not asleep and that vasya was still lying on the bed but strange to say he fancied that vasya was pretending that he was deceiving him, that he was getting up, stealthily watching him out of the corner of his eye, and was stealing up to the writing-table. Arkady felt a scalding pain at his heart. He felt vexed and sad and oppressed to see Vasya not trusting him, hiding and concealing himself from him. He tried to catch hold of him, to call out, to carry him to the bed. Then Vasya kept shrieking in his arms, and he laid on the bed a lifeless corpse. He opened his eyes and woke up. Vasya was sitting before him at the table, writing. Hardly able to believe his senses, Arkady glanced at the bed. Vasya was not there. Arkady jumped up in a panic, still under the influence of his dream. Vasya did not stir. He went on writing. All at once Arkady noticed with horror that Vasya was moving a dry pen over the paper, was turning over perfectly blank pages, and hurrying, hurrying to fill up the paper, as though he were doing his work in a most thorough and efficient way. No, this is not a trance, thought Arkady Ivanovitch, and he trembled all over. Vasya, Vasya, speak to me, he cried, clutching him by the shoulder. But Vasya did not speak. He went on as before, scribbling with a dry pen over the paper. "'At last I have made the pen go faster,' he said, without looking up at Arkady. Arkady seized his hand and snatched away the pen. A moan broke from Vasya. He dropped his hand and raised his eyes to Arkady. Then, with an air of misery and exhaustion, he passed his hand over his forehead as though he wanted to shake off some leaden weight that was pressing upon his whole being. And slowly, as though lost in thought, he let his head sink on his breast. Vasya! Vasya! cried Arkady in despair. Vasya! A minute later, Vasya looked at him. Tears stood in his large blue eyes, and his pale, mild face wore a look of infinite suffering. 
He whispered something. What? What is it? cried Arkady, bending down to him. What for? Why are they doing it to me? whispered Vasya. What for? What have I done? Vasya, what is it? What are you afraid of? What is it? cried Arkady, wringing his hands in despair. Why are they sending me for a soldier? said Vasya, looking his friend straight in the face. Why is it? What have I done? Arkady's hair stood on end with horror. He refused to believe his ears. He stood over him, half dead. A minute later he pulled himself together. It's nothing, it's only for the minute, he said to himself, with pale face and blue quivering lips, and he hastened to put on his outdoor things. He meant to run straight for a doctor. All at once Vasya called to him. Arkady rushed to him and clasped him in his arms like a mother whose child is being torn from her. Arkady, Arkady, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, do you hear? It is my trouble, I must bear it alone. What is it, what is it? Rouse yourself, Vasya, rouse yourself. Vasya sighed, and slow tears trickled down his cheeks. Why kill her? How is she to blame? He muttered in an agonized, heart-rending voice. The sin is mine, the sin is mine. He was silent for a moment. "'Farewell, my love, farewell, my love,' he whispered, shaking his luckless head. Arkady started, pulled himself together, and would have rushed for the doctor. "'Let us go! It is time!' cried Vasya, carried away by Arkady's last movement. "'Let us go, brother, let us go! I am ready! You lead the way!' He paused and looked at Arkady with a downcast and mistrustful face. Vasya, for goodness sake don't follow me wait for me here i will come back to you directly directly said arkady ivanovitch losing his head and snatching up his cap to run for a doctor vasya sat down at once he was quiet and docile but there was a gleam of some desperate resolution in his eye arkady turned back snatched up from the table an open penknife looked at the poor fellow for the last time and ran out of the flat it was eight o'clock. It had been broad daylight for some time in the room. He found no one. He was running about for a full hour. All the doctors whose addresses he had got from the house porter, when he inquired of the latter whether there were no doctor living in the building, had gone out, either to their work or on their private affairs. There was one who saw patients. This one questioned at length, and in detail, the servant who announced that Nefedevich had called, asking him who it was, from whom he came, what was the matter, and concluded by saying that he could not go, that he had a great deal to do, and that patients of that kind ought to be taken to a hospital. Then Arkady, exhausted, agitated, and utterly taken aback by this turn of affairs, cursed all the doctors on earth and rushed home in the utmost alarm about Vasya. He ran into the flat. Mavra, as though there were nothing the matter, went on scrubbing the floor, breaking up wood and preparing to light the stove. He went into the room. There was no trace of Vasya. He had gone out. "'Which way? Where? Where will the poor fellow be off to?' thought Arkady, frozen with terror. He began questioning Mavra. She knew nothing, had neither seen nor heard him go out, God bless him. Nefedevich rushed off to the Artemyevs. 
it occurred to him for some reason that he must be there. It was ten o'clock by the time he arrived. They did not expect him, knew nothing, and had heard nothing. He stood before them, frightened, distressed, and asked where was Vasya. The mother's legs gave way under her. She sank back on the sofa. Lizanka, trembling with alarm, began asking what had happened. What could he say? Arkady Ivanovitch got out of it as best he could, invented some tale which of course was not believed, and fled, leaving them distressed and anxious. He flew to his department that he might not be too late there, and he let them know that steps might be taken at once. On the way it occurred to him that Vasya would be at Yulian Mostakovitch's. That was more likely than anything. Arkady had thought of that, first of all, even before the Artemyevs. As he drove by His Excellency's door, he thought of stopping, but at once told the driver to go straight on. He made up his mind to try and find out whether anything had happened at the office, and if he were not there, to go to His Excellency, ostensibly to report on Vasya. Someone must be informed of it. As soon as he got into the waiting-room, he was surrounded by fellow clerks, for the most part young men of his own standing in the service. With one voice they began asking him what had happened to Vasya. At the same time they all told him that Vasya had gone out of his mind, and thought that he was to be sent for a soldier as a punishment for having neglected his work. Arkady Ivanovitch, answering them in all directions, or, rather, avoiding giving a direct answer to anyone, rushed into the inner room. On the way he learned that Vasya was in Yulian Mostakovitch's private room, that everyone had been there, and that Esper Ivanovitch had gone in there too. He was stopped on the way. One of the senior clerks asked him who he was and what he wanted. Without distinguishing the person, he said something about Vasya, and went straight into the room. He heard Yulian Mostakovitch's voice from within. "'Where are you going?' someone asked him at the very door. Arkady Ivanovitch was almost in despair. He was on the point of turning back, but through the open door he saw his poor Vasya. He pushed the door and squeezed his way into the room. Everyone seemed to be in confusion and perplexity, because Yulian Mostakovitch was apparently much chagrined. All the more important personages were standing about him, talking, and coming to no decision. At a little distance stood Vasya. Arkady's heart sank when he looked at him. Vasya was standing, pale, with his head up, stiffly erect, like a recruit before a new officer, with his feet together and his hands held rigidly at his sides. He was looking Yulian Mostakovitch straight in the face. Arkady was noticed at once, and someone who knew that they lodged together mentioned the fact to His Excellency. Arkady was led up to him. He tried to make some answer to the questions put to him, glanced at Yulian Mostakovitch, and seeing on his face a look of genuine compassion, began trembling and sobbing like a child. He even did more. He snatched His Excellency's hand and held it to his eyes, wetting it with his tears, so that Yulian Mostakovitch was obliged to draw it hastily away, and waving it in the air, said, "'Come, my dear fellow, come. I see you have a good heart.' Arkady sobbed and turned an imploring look on everyone. It seemed to him that they were all brothers of his dear Vasya, that they were all worried and weeping about him. "'How? How has it happened? How has it happened?' asked Yulian Mostakovitch. "'What has sent him out of his mind?' Gr gr gratitude 
was all Arkady Ivanovitch could articulate. Everyone heard his answer with amazement, and it seemed strange and incredible to everyone that a man could go out of his mind from gratitude. Arkady explained as best he could. "'Good heavens, what a pity!' said Yulian Mostakovitch at last. "'And the work entrusted to him was not important and not urgent in the least. It was not worth while for a man to kill himself over it. Well, take him away.' At this point Yulian Mostakovitch turned to Arkady Ivanovitch again, and began questioning him once more. "'He begs,' he said, pointing to Vasya, "'that some girl should not be told of this. Who is she? His betrothed, I suppose?' Arkady began to explain. Meanwhile Vasya seemed to be thinking of something, as though he were straining his memory to the utmost to recall some important, necessary matter, which was particularly wanted at this moment. From time to time he looked round with a distressed face, as though hoping someone would remind him of what he had forgotten. He fastened his eyes on Arkady. All of a sudden there was a gleam of hope in his eyes. He moved with the left leg forward, took three steps as smartly as he could, clicking with his right boot as soldiers do when they move forward at the call from their officer. Everyone was waiting to see what would happen. I have a physical defect, and am small and weak, and I am not fit for military service, Your Excellency, he said abruptly. At that, everyone in the room felt a pang at his heart, and, firm as was Yulian Mostakovitch's character, tears trickled from his eyes. Take him away, he said with a wave of his hands. Present, said Vasya in an undertone. He wheeled round to the left and marched out of the room. All who were interested in his fate followed him out. Arkady pushed his way out behind the others. They made Vasya sit down in the waiting-room till the carriage came which had been ordered to take him to the hospital. He sat down in silence and seemed in great anxiety. He nodded to anyone he recognized as though saying good-bye. He looked round towards the door every minute and prepared himself to set off when he should be told it was time. People crowded in a close circle round him. They were all shaking their heads and lamenting. Many of them were much impressed by his story, which had suddenly become known. Some discussed his illness, while others expressed their pity and high opinion of Vasya, saying that he was such a quiet, modest young man that he had been so promising. People described what efforts he had made to learn, how eager he was for knowledge, how he had worked to educate himself. "'He had risen by his own efforts from a humble position,' someone observed. They spoke with emotion of His Excellency's affection for him. Some of them fell to explaining why Vasya was possessed by the idea that he was being sent for a soldier, because he had not finished his work. They said that the poor fellow had so lately belonged to the class liable for military service, and had only received his first grade through the good offices of Yulian Mostakovitch, who had had the cleverness to discover his talent, his docility, and the rare mildness of his disposition. In fact, there was a great number of views and theories. A very short fellow clerk of Vasya's was conspicuous as being particularly distressed. He was not very young, probably about thirty. He was pale as a sheet, trembling all over and smiling queerly, perhaps because any scandalous affair or terrible scene both frightens and at the same time somewhat rejoices the outside spectator. He kept running round the circle that surrounded Vasya, and, as he was so short, stood on tiptoe and caught at the button of every one, 
that is, of those with whom he felt entitled to take such a liberty, and kept saying that he knew how it had all happened, that it was not so simple, but a very important matter, that it couldn't be left without further inquiry, then stood on tiptoe again, whispered in someone's ear, nodded his head again two or three times, and ran round again. At last everything was over. The porter made his appearance, and an attendant from the hospital went up to Vasya and told him it was time to start. Vasya jumped up in a flutter and went with them, looking about him. He was looking about for someone. "'Vasya! Vasya!' cried Arkady Ivanovitch, sobbing. Vasya stopped, and Arkady squeezed his way up to him. They flung themselves into each other's arms in a last bitter embrace. It was sad to see them. What monstrous calamity was wringing the tears from their eyes? What were they weeping for? What was their trouble? Why did they not understand one another? "'Here, here, take it, take care of it,' said Shumkov, thrusting a paper of some kind into Arkady's hand. "'They will take it away from me. Bring it me later on. Bring it. Take care of it.' Vasya could not finish. They called to him. He ran hurriedly downstairs, nodding to everyone, saying good-bye to everyone. There was despair in his face. At last he was put in the carriage and taken away. Arkady made haste to open the paper. It was Lisa's curl of black hair, from which Vasya had never parted. Hot tears gushed from Arkady's eyes. Oh, poor Lisa! When office hours were over, he went to the Artemyevs. There is no need to describe what happened there. Even Petya, little Petya, though he could not quite understand what had happened to dear Vasya, went into a corner, hid his face in his little hands, and sobbed in the fullness of his childish heart. It was quite dusk when Arkady returned home. When he reached the Neva, he stood still for a minute, and turned a keen glance up the river into the smoky, frozen thickness of the distance, which was suddenly flushed crimson with the last purple and blood-red glow of sunset, still smouldering on the misty horizon. Night lay over the city, and the wide plain of the Neva, swollen with frozen snow, was shining in the last gleams of the sun, with myriads of sparks of gleaming hoar-frost. There was a frost of twenty degrees. A cloud of frozen steam hung about the overdriven horses and the hurrying people, the condensed atmosphere quivered at the slightest sound, and from all the roofs on both sides of the river columns of smoke rose up like giants, and floated across the cold sky, intertwining and untwining as they went, so that it seemed new buildings were rising up above the old, a new town was taking shape in the air. It seemed as if all that world, with all its inhabitants, strong and weak, with all their habitations, the refuges of the poor, or the gilded palaces for the comfort of the powerful of this world, was at that twilight hour like a fantastic vision of fairyland, like a dream which in its turn would vanish and pass away like vapor into the dark blue sky. A strange thought came to poor Vasya's forlorn friend. He started, and his heart seemed at that instant flooded with a hot rush of blood kindled by a powerful, overwhelming sensation he had never known before. He seemed only now to understand all the trouble, and to know why his poor Vasya had gone out of his mind, unable to bear his happiness. His lips twitched, his eyes lighted up, he turned pale, and as it were had a clear vision into something new. 
he became gloomy and depressed and lost all his gaiety his old lodging grew hateful to him he took a new room he did not care to visit the artemyevs and indeed he could not two years later he met lizanka in church she was by then married beside her walked a wet nurse with a tiny baby they greeted each other and for a long time avoided all mention of the past liza said that thank god she was happy that she was not badly off that her husband was a kind man and that she was fond of him but suddenly in the middle of a sentence her eyes filled with tears her voice failed she turned away and bowed down to the church pavement to hide her grief end of part 4 and end of a faint heart by fyodor dostoevsky